Here's a few words with Adam McFadden of Firehouse Training. Hey, Adam. Hey, Scott. How's it going? It's going well yourself. Good. Just looking to get a bit of an update from you about November and the first few weeks of December. Yeah, November was a pretty good month for Firehouse Training. We ran our tactical ventilation and search operations course at our facility in Fergus. I had a pretty good turnout. I think we had between 15 and 20 students all working hard to achieve some goals when it came to understanding different tactical ventilation techniques. We used some practical vent enter search props. We also did some basic door control and flow path training, as well as a better understanding of the different types of ventilation, like hydraulic positive pressure ventilation and even different types of mechanical ventilation. So that was a very good day and well-received, and everybody had fun and worked safely as well. The other event that we had some pretty good success on was our first ever Firefighter 5 a.m. club, which basically was a group of us that got together at 5 a.m. last month to just kickstart, you know, and rise and grind, so to speak, starting with a daily dose of motivation, support, and inspiration. The event lasted for about 30 minutes to an hour, and a lot of people from across not only Canada but North America joined us to discuss what works to aspire to achieve their goals whether it's working out or even getting into our books to study or firefighting or other careers. It was a good opportunity for everybody to get together and just feed off of each other and just allow that motivation to happen. That sounds great. What a great idea. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Some other events that we have coming up in December at our facility in Fergus, Saturday, December 12th, we have another one of our career coaching days where basically any aspiring firefighter or those looking to work in the emergency services can book three-hour sessions to come and receive assistance and everything from resume and cover letter preparation, mock interview prep, as well as technical skill preparation, such as the OFAI Stage 3 that's ran prevalently here in Ontario. Many students were signed up for that, so check out our website for more details. Again, on Wednesday, December 16th, we'll be looking at having another session of our Firefighter 5 a.m. club and just giving everybody the opportunity to come together you know, free from distractions to inspire and collaborate to help each other reach personal and professional goals. So feel free to make your morning coffee and join us at 5 a.m. Whether you're looking to become a firefighter or work in any other industry, do feel free to join us. It's not necessarily a firefighter-based training event, more of a personal enrichment-type session that many different people with various backgrounds can take a part of. Fantastic. Our last event of the year is going to be Elevator Rescue Operations and Awareness Training. Now, this will be in our virtual classroom via Zoom. We have some special guest instructors, both from the technical rescue side of the emergency services, as well as the fire and life safety industry. So the nice thing about this course is it's going to be some basic awareness and familiarization of various elements of elevator response for the emergency services. Building familiarization in elevator systems at high rises, basic rescue fundamentals, some standard operating procedures used for elevator response, not only with some various fire departments across Canada, but also across the U.S. as well. We'll also be discussing some elevator drop key and door opening access review, and also some important elevator mechanical room lockout and tagout procedures that are very vital to firefighter safety. So that event takes place on Sunday, December 20th from 9 until 1 p.m., and the cost for that is $150, and we're looking forward to another good turnout for that. I think that's the best way to finish off the year. Firehouse training wishes everybody the best and wishing everybody a happy holidays. We really hope that everybody can pull through 2020 and look forward to 2021 and fulfill those goals that they hope to achieve. Everybody keep safe with your families and we'll see you in 2021. Cool. Have a great holiday season. Thanks, my friend. Welcome to Multiple Calls, episode 31. I'm Scott Hewlett. If you could actually feel what feeling mentally better is like, what the changed you will feel, you wouldn't need to convince yourself or be inspired or pushed by others. You would work continuously from that moment to put as much distance between that and your current mindset. But you can't, and you know this about others. Think of a loved one or friend that has struggled in the past and how much you wish so deeply that you could make them feel what you feel for them, so that they could know that they are more than they believe and that they are not alone. You can't. 
perhaps one day soon when an organic or technological advancement allows for it. But until then, we are limited by our biology and the physical and mental distance it places between us all. This is the meaning behind the saying, think of how hard it is to change others and you'll realize how hard it is to change yourself. Trying to think differently in a situation feels mentally like trying to lift weights to get physically stronger. You can feel the resistance in your mind as you try and push your way through it. It doesn't feel good. The neural pathways haven't been built yet and the old ones are empty superhighways, just for you with hidden tolls. If you try and live too much at once, you can't do it, and it can really stress your mind and your body. You have to find the right amount each time, each day, commit to it, and let the moments turn to days, into weeks, and so on. It is delayed gratification at its finest. The biggest barrier to changing yourself for the better is letting go of who you are. This way of being is all you have ever known. You and who you are have been through a lot together. You know each other inside and out, and it's safe and comfortable, even if it isn't good for you. There is a personal mourning that takes place as parts of you die off to make room for new growth, and your mind can play games with you. You don't want to feel that you are wrong in the way you viewed yourself and others and behaved as a result. The hard thing about a new lens is that everything comes back into focus and demands to be seen and readdressed. The first step in the process is knowing that you are capable. You are wired and built to grow and evolve. Once you feel that in your core, you can begin to own the personal accountability and responsibility that arises from it. My guest this episode has taken it upon himself to use his experience with change and growth and the stories of others that have done the same to produce the Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast. I had the privilege of guesting on an episode with him, and I've benefited from his work immensely. Here's my conversation with Ryan Gallagher about his story. Hey, Ryan. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good. You want to get into it? Yeah, buddy. Let's start with where you're from originally. Tell me about your family and your upbringing. Born in Toronto, moved to Burlington when I was two, so basically from Burlington. Grew up in Burlington until about 32, I want to say. Currently in Grimsby, Ontario, and still working, though, in Burlington. Family upbringing was pretty great. Very supportive parents. Like most young kids, close with my cousins at the time, we were all the same age. So you know, Christmas was a lot of fun. All the Thanksgivings and the holidays and all that, hanging out with family. I have an older brother. And as the years were on, unfortunately, we're not very close anymore. So that one's tough to kind of navigate through. But we're, we're trying to work on that relationship. But yeah, overall, it was good. But I struggled as well. When I was younger, it was interesting. In grade two, whatever age that puts me at, for some reason, I had some sort of anxiety. I was very shy. But as I got older, I began to become more social. But it was just weird how I had a really good upbringing and family, but going to school for whatever reason, I had anxiety. I used to chase my parents' car when they dropped me off pretend I was sick just to go home. But outside of that, I focused on sports and just being a kid. So it was good. Yeah, you were pretty athletic focused. Big time, yeah. Early on, I took to hockey, like I took to skating right away. I was on the ice at two years old. I loved hockey, but it was interesting. Again, back to the supportive parents, they said, oh, do you want to play hockey? You know, when the time is when you can actually be in a league at like four years old or whatever. And I was like, nah, I'm just going to wait till I'm seven for whatever reason. Just being a kid, I said, I'll, I'll wait until I'm seven years old. And then at seven, I was like, okay, I'm ready to play hockey now. So sure enough, they signed me up and that was it. I was off and running with that. That helped me, I think, over time come out of my shell too. But I was on the ice you know, three to five times a week playing rep hockey, you know, and in tournaments, practicing. I tried soccer early on too for like two years and just felt it was organized running. I didn't enjoy it. Played football in high school, played golf, still play golf. I still play hockey. I'm on the ice quite a bit just playing men's league. I was not, I guess, the best student at the time, but that again was just my own, for whatever reason, lack of focus. I just wanted to be around my parents or on the ice playing sports. So you mentioned with school, you had some anxiety during those years. Tell me about the record you hold in grade two. <laughs> and I just say that jokingly, there's a good chance I hold a record for most sick days for a grade two student. I could not stay at school for a full day. It was rare. I would just never want to be there. Like I said, I would always chase my parents' car. They dropped me off and I'd chase them down the street. Or if I didn't, and I knew my dad was at home because he was going to be working a night shift at his job, then I would have the nurse call or the secretary call and say, I'm sick. And it got to the point where he'd say, no, he's not. And I'd just stay there all day in like the nurse's room. For whatever reason, I couldn't navigate that age that whole year. And then it just clicked. And they tried to put me on. I can't remember the drug they put me on, but my mom said I wasn't myself. 
I wasn't chipper and outgoing like around them. So they had to take me off a bit. And then just one day it all clicked for me and I was off and running. It was like, like they would come to the rinks with me and I'd have to know where they were standing to watch me play hockey. And then one day they're like, Oh, we'll be standing over here. And I was like, no, that's fine. And then I became captains of my hockey teams and a leader. And it was just a completely different person. But in terms of school experiences, I struggled early on. And then as I came out of my shell, I received honors in public school, honors in high school. And then I got into the whole mentality like, oh, everyone's going to university, so I should go too. Went to Brock for one year, sport management, lasted the year, dropped out, wasn't ready for that. Just kind of wanted to party and hang out with my friends and have fun. And then went to Mohawk for three years, broadcasting communications, graduated from that. I thought, okay, I'll do a degree in communications and I'll work my way through something in TV. Because I, again, I always love sports. So hopefully I can get in maybe on TV or, or do something behind the scenes. And I lasted a semester there and then started just working jobs. And always in the back of my mind was firefighting because my mom had mentioned to me early on, like, hey, you'd be good at this. You should do this. So started doing odd jobs and taking courses, picking away at courses, rescue courses along the way. So school, it was for me, but it wasn't. And now it's funny because I'm in school now, finishing up a diploma program for professional addiction studies. And then I might go on and do some sort of psych degree with a minor in mental health that's offered at McMaster. So I guess it was just about finding my way and not just kind of going with the flow that everybody else is doing. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously there's homeschool options, but that's not an option for every family. There's Montessori, there's private schools, but those aren't financially accessible for everybody. So the majority just get to grind it out in the public school system and it's not suited for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I can't pinpoint what it was that I just figured out one day that all of a sudden the anxiety went away and I started to excel going to Brock that one year. My dad had passed away 16 years old and then I went obviously to university at 18 or 19. And I think never dealing with that trauma in my life was the reason for not doing well that one year at Brock. Because I kind of was introduced to alcohol. I waited to have my first drink at 19. And then that was it. It was just party time. I don't think I was mature enough yet to be there, to have fun and go to class, right? So you mentioned your parents guiding you and mentoring you by not pressuring you and letting you grow into things in your own time, which is great. You also had a teacher in public school that now that you reflect back on it, was a mentor as well. Who was that? Yeah, Miss Adams, when I was going through all that stuff, she was the principal at the time. And she was great to me. She was always there for me, never kind of judged me, was very empathetic towards whatever it was I was going through. And just over the last year, where I've been thinking about her more often. My mom mentioned that she ran into her a while ago, and then it's just kind of stuck with me. She really changed my life for the better, just allowing me to be that kid and try and go through it, but go through it with me and try and help me and give me direction. More or less, this is going to be okay. You're going to get through this little hump of being anxious and just being that kid that struggles to fit in early on. And so looking back, I always think about her. So she definitely helped me. And my parents, like I said, were huge, uh, never pressuring me, especially at that time in my life and with hockey and sports and just kind of letting me figure this out. Did you work at all at a young age? What jobs did you get into before the fire service? Oh, yeah. My first job was McDonald's. That was a great job at 16 years old. And then I was at Portino's just bagging groceries. And then I was in the dairy department. And then I think like most teenagers doing the landscaping gig, that was the best outside cutting lawns, raking leaves. And then when the school stuff didn't work out, I was like, well, I got to start working full-time jobs. So I worked at discount car and truck rentals, taking reservations, giving people rental cars. That's when I kind of started to realize firefighting might be my path. So I started just picking away, like I said, at courses while still working. Rope rescue, hazmat, swift water, ice water, you name it, and building a resume and then got on the volunteer service right around the same time I was working at the rent car business. And then talk about coming out of your shell. I love talking to people that got older and just being around people. So I got into sales and merchandising with Pepsi and then Worth Canada, which was like industrial sales. And again, just picking away at courses and applying to different fire services. It was an interesting time. And I think that's probably common for a lot of people who get into the fire department. You can probably speak to this as well. Like, as you talk to people, like, what did you do before this? And some people are like, oh, I was a teacher or I was in construction. Like, everybody's done something. That's why there's no right or wrong way to get hired. Everyone has some sort of life experience or cool job they did. 
So you said becoming a firefighter was in your mind a ways back, but what brought it to your mind? Like what made it an option? What was your exposure to it? Yeah, it wasn't until I think around 24 when I was like, I think I'm going to make a go at this career. But looking back, my mom had mentioned to me a few times, hey, you know, you'd be good at this. You should consider this. And I, of course, no, 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 no. I got my life figured out. I don't need your advice, right? As I'm trying to navigate everything else that I'd already dropped out of school and tried to figure this out. And it's like, well, maybe just consider this. So it was just in my head, but my dad had passed away at 16 and I actually gave him CPR. So he dropped in front of me. My mom had left. It was a half day of school. So I came home to grab some stuff for football practice. I was in high school at the time and my mom was home for lunch. She worked actually at the high school I was at. And so she left to go back and my dad was complaining about some arm pain. And then he said, call your mom, call an ambulance and hit the floor. So I called, talked to the dispatch and I had to give him CPR at 16 years old and he passed away and the doctors and nurses said, you know, if we had all the equipment there in front of them, we wouldn't have been able to save them. The blockage was too big. They worked on them in the house, on the front lawn, in the ambulance, all the way to the hospital, obviously at the hospital. And that stuck with me with my mom saying, hey, down the road, maybe you'd be good at firefighting. But then also seeing all the police, paramedics, firefighters at my house and just willing to help. I always go back to that moment. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I would be good at this. I didn't panic. It's my own dad. I did what I had to do. And I think that, in a way, kind of put me on that career path. Fast forward, got hired as a volunteer at 25 to better my skills and then just keep taking courses. We'll jump ahead a little bit here because that experience you had really brings us to a few paths we can take. Did you struggle mentally after that? Did the anxiety you had as a kid come back? What was the aftermath for you? Oh, yeah. I struggled quite a bit. At that time, my best buddy, we did everything together. He'd get up in the morning, take me to hockey practice, and we'd drive for hours to different cities to play. So we had great memories with him. My mom said to me right away, oh, do you want to talk to somebody? And I said, nope. Why do I want to talk to somebody about all my problems? <laughs> now here we are. You have 35 years pushing mental health. Talk to somebody. Share your story. But of course, at 16, you're like, no, I'm good. I'll just hang out with my friends and just do whatever. So it was tough. I didn't deal with it. And then at 19, like I said, I went away to school, started drinking alcohol. Anything I was feeling, it just kind of went away. I was always a happy teenager, but I was struggling because I never dealt with that trauma. And then I got hired at 30. And my first year, I went to so many VSA calls that I think triggered some things with me. So then the alcohol escalated from just having drinks here and there to every weekend. It was tough. I struggled a lot. And then that transferred into my personal life. And all this is going on. I got hired at 30. So I got my dream job, a brand new house. I'm going to get married that year. Everything looks good on the outside, which is a common thing. But on the inside, I was really struggling. Yeah, that was the other path I was thinking of is getting exposed to that again on the job and how that affected you. What turned around the alcohol as a coping mechanism for you? What brought you out of that? Uh, my wife was a big factor. She helped me a lot. She knew something was off and it wasn't the best environment for me while I was dealing with this stuff. Yeah, you got this job. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, 100%. Okay, well, then we need to work on this and I will work on it with you. So she never passed judgment. She was always very supportive. So I found somebody in my life that was very supportive and helped me in that direction. Never said, you need to go get help, but more or less, you need to go get help without saying it. I had her to lean on, and it was a struggle. So I finally went to a counselor, and right away, we sit down and talk about my drinking and my habits, and then we get into trauma, and it's like, wait a minute, right there, it's your trauma from your 16 years old. You never dealt with it. So let's work on that. And once we worked on the past and navigating and figuring out positive coping strategies, whether it be playing hockey and meditating, journaling, working out, just getting outside, I could remove the alcohol. And it's interesting because I still have drinks to this day. It's rare, but I still do enjoy them. But I understand the, do I want it? Do I need it? Do I just want to have it to enjoy it? Or do I need it because I'm struggling? And I struggle like everybody week to week or month to month or daily, whatever it is, because of losing my father and just life in general can be hard. But having that support system of my wife really helped me. And then I still do regular check-ins with the counselor, which has helped me big time. And then it, of course, transferred into my marriage. We struggled a lot because I was just unhappy with myself. 
I was never unhappy with the person I was with. I was always unhappy with myself. And, you know, you shut people out. And luckily, I didn't shut my wife out completely, and she didn't shut me out. And we started doing the couples counseling. And fast forward today, we got a young son and another one on the way. And things are good. But it's about working through that. It's so huge to have a person in your life that isn't just reacting emotionally to how what you're doing is affecting them. More so, they're like, I see you. I recognize where you are. I have an idea of what you need to go through to get where you need to be. And I'll bring that forward to you and I'll walk it with you. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Exactly what you just said. It's massive. And being vulnerable. That's all that is, is allowing yourself to put your guard down and get rid of this. No, I'm a guy mentality. I don't need this. I'm tough. I can get through this and just go, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty messed up. So I can go down one path or I can go down the other and the other is going to help me. And it's not the same for everybody, obviously. You know, this sounds pretty straightforward, but I struggled to get to that point of going to see somebody. And I went and saw lots of people too. That's the other thing with that. Some people will go, oh, you know what? I'll go talk to somebody. And then they don't jive with that person. There's no connection. I didn't connect with some people, so I kept going because I wanted to work on things. But I also wanted to work on things for myself. I wanted to be selfish. Yes, in the end, it's going to fix my career and my balance and my life. But I had to do it for me. You got to do it for yourself. And then everything else just falls into place. You're right about so many people that would go the first time, make the attempt to talk to somebody. It doesn't work with the relationship between you and the counselor. And you're like, see, this is crap. And they just stop. Yeah, it's that whole, you got to keep pushing forward. And maybe talk therapy isn't for everybody too, right? Like there's other ways of fixing problems. Some people use medication. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you need. Some people just find that they can just journal, you know, depending on the severity of what's going on with them, they can just write things down or they can just go for a walk or they can find that friend that they can just lean on. For me, I needed a professional to kind of sit down and say, no, no, you don't have a drinking problem. You have trauma that happened to you in your life that was pretty big that you just didn't talk about for 10 years. And just an unhealthy coping mechanism. Exactly. Yeah, for many people, it may be a combination of things that you mentioned, but I think you hit the nail on the head by talking about what the intention is. If the intention, the personal intention is there, eventually that combination of things or one thing is going to be found and you're going to get better. Yeah, life's not easy, right? You're going to have all kinds of stressors in life. There's going to be amazing times, and then there's going to be really bad times. And that's the unfortunate part. But if you can figure out how to get through those bad times a positive way and learn from it, then it's going to help you in the end. I've learned not to bottle up how I'm feeling. And then now fast forward into being a mental health advocate and having my own podcast and back in school. All of those little failures that I talked about and those things that happened, my dad dying, dropping out of school numerous times and not playing in the NHL because every kid wants to play in the NHL or whatever it is that you failed at or you think is a failure. You know, I connect all those dots and it's made me kind of the person I am today. And that's why I'm so open about talking about things. When you talk to people, they sit up, they stand a little bit straighter or they kind of look at you differently. They turn their head. And they might not know what to say, or they might message you later or connect with you later and go, hey, that was really big of you to mention that. And then all of a sudden they open up about something or they open up right on the spot. It's just forming that connection. So you might not remember specific times, but do you remember in general there being these moments or epiphanies where you realized that you had shifted, that you were different, that the work you were doing was changing you? Have you had that experience and been aware of it? been on the fire department seven years. And, you know, my first year, like I said, I struggled and kept it all to myself. But I think as I started to grow outside of work, and then that kind of changed into my role on the job. I mean, your first year, you're never super confident, but you grow and you get some confidence and you learn from others. But when I really started to notice it is when I would talk about these things just in passing with people and you're still fairly new and people kind of go, oh, Okay, he's opening up. We don't really know him, but okay, that's great. And then all of a sudden, we start a peer support program, and I get voted on by my peers. You had to have X amount of votes or whatever to be considered. So I obviously met that criteria, and I thought, oh, wow, that's really neat. Maybe there's something there for me to continue just to grow and share what I've learned through life. So that really changed. And then shifting my focus when I started to be like, oh, I'm going to go back to school for this and getting into different coping mechanisms and not just talk therapy, doing different things, yoga, meditating, journaling, all of that. When I really started to realize like my growth 
was there and my potential it was changing after a number of things. Yeah, let's touch back on the peer support, but I don't want to gloss over what your recruit experience was like in your first year on the job. Yeah, my recruit experience was great at work. Obviously, all that stuff I was talking about, I was going through at home, right? So I got my dream job, my personal life's just a mess. But in terms of the job, it was awesome. I got hired with two of my buddies that I've known for a very, very long time. So that was pretty cool. And we had a small class. So became friends with the other two in the class and still obviously friends to this day. Get together once a year for our, our anniversary date, which is pretty neat. So it was a good experience from that. And then my first year, I was fortunate enough to get paired up with a mentor, which to answer your other question as well, when I started to notice you know, the changes and difference, I've been a mentor to the last two recruits that have been put on our platoon. So that's something I'm pretty proud of as well in, in terms of growth and being recognized as someone, you know, hey, this guy will help you out. My first year, I was lucky enough to get a really good mentor. And one thing that really stuck out too is the person that mentored me I asked him a question and he didn't know something, he went and found the answer instead of just making something up or being like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You don't need to know that. And maybe you don't need to know it, but I had a question. So he'd find the answer. So he was great to me. My first crew was great to me. Seven years on now, one of the guys that I was on my first year, he's now we're on a current crew together. We get along great. I ended up in speaking at his wedding. My first captain was great. Still tight with him. Overall, it was a good experience while working, other than a couple triggers. But again, I worked through that. That was fun. It was a fun first year. How's the peer support going at your department? And how's it been for you building relationships and growing through that? Yeah, it's been good. It's been tough right now with COVID. I'm sure there's a lot of people struggling. We've got some really good people in place. And we're still trying to navigate the role and responsibilities. It's a learning process and it's always going to be, especially when you're dealing with your peers and they're struggling and they reach out to you. But early on, we got the proper training in place. So now we're just trying to work out the kinks, the budgeting. How can we get more courses? Do we need to add people or do people simply not want to be a part of it anymore? You know, they did two years and they found it very hard on them. So it's been a learning process. I think it's going to continue to be a learning curve. But we're getting through it. And then with COVID hitting, it kind of put things on hold. We're trying to schedule regular meetings, but you can't do these in-person meetings and have too many people in the building. And so good and bad, I guess. Maybe expand for me on witnessing other people struggling. Part of that would be, are you surprised to see how many people are actually struggling with things? And what's your perception of that? Yeah, I do get a lot of people reaching out to me, you know, on the job or even off, just in general. So I guess I'm someone that they can go to, having been through my own stuff and openly sharing it. I'm not surprised because, again, we all are going to go through something. One in five people will have a mental health problem. I think it's five in five. We're all going to have some sort of struggle. So I'm not surprised in that sense. But I think it's great that people reach out. And that's the key to that, right, is reaching out. And then I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. I'm just someone that you can talk to. And then maybe I can get you the right resource. Or maybe I can refer you to somebody that's better suited to talk to you that isn't a doctor counselor. That's just another peer supporter or just another friend. Sometimes I guess people surprise me, the people that do maybe reach out or happen to say, which we'll get into, I listen to your podcast. You're like, huh, never would have saw that coming. So it's important not to judge people. Yeah, so expand on that now. What prompted the Mental Edge Lifestyle podcast? Well, everything we kind of touched on, like my own personal struggles. And you know, as I get older, from where I was and being the shy kid and not talking to all of a sudden opening up and never shutting up and just loving talking to people and learning from other people, like a sponge, just grab something from everybody in life. Oh, okay, that person does that well, or they don't do that well. And how can I learn from this? And then the more I develop that and share my own stuff, and then the more I share my own stuff, the more people just randomly say something about their own personal struggle. So I thought, you know what, maybe there's a need for this. I could just start talking to random people, you know, from all over the world. That's the great thing about podcasts, right? Access to people all over the world. Fire up a Zoom meeting and let's talk about mental health and personal struggles because people need to hear it. And I love listening to podcasts. So I thought, why not start one? It's free information. Do you have some favorites that you're always going to that you kind of modeled yours after or took cues from? Yeah, I listened to Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. 
He's got some pretty inspiring guests on all the time. And then another wellness one, Mind Pump. It's more about fitness, but it touches a lot on health and the science behind it. And then I just read different people's blogs. I go to a naturopath, so I read a lot of his stuff. Mark's Daily Apple, he's a big keto, paleo, kind of healthy living, whatever you want to believe in, but he always touches on like gut health and brain health. So there's those kind of websites. And then obviously your standard, Tony Robbins. You know, I mean, you listen to that guy speak and it's like, wow, okay. You just kind of grabs your attention and makes you want to be better, I guess. And then I got a buddy who's doing a podcast. And then obviously you've got yours. I've had you on mine. So I've got a few go-tos that I listen to for the health and wellness stuff and the inspirational. And then it's important to have that balance of like kind of shut it down, shut your mind up. So I got a hockey podcast I always listen to. Is there a reason you chose to do an across-the-board mental health focus and not specifically to the fire service? It just was something that, again, we're all struggling. Everyone has a different issue. So I just felt like more people will respond to just hearing a diverse group of people speak different stories. And then they can kind of connect the dots from there. And, oh, that sounds like me or my friends maybe like this. So at the end of the day, if people want to listen, great. And they want to pull something from it. Awesome. You mentioned that trying to find a balance in your life with it is one of the challenges, but what are some of the other challenges that come with doing that kind of work? It's obviously not for the money because there's no money in it at this level. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. So cost, cost, definitely one of them. And then time is tough. And again, you know, using that excuse, I don't have time. I'm one of those people like, oh, you don't have time. Well, it's just not a priority. I kind of look at it like that. But right now with like the COVID stuff happening, having my young son home constantly, it's been tough to get some content going, as I'm sure you can agree with that. It's harder when the kids are around and it's family time, right? Because everyone's around, beautiful day out. So just trying to navigate that. But also when I started this, I dove right into it. I banked tons of content. And you're starting a podcast, you start reading articles. You need all this content. You need this, 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 and that. So I did it. And then you realize, oh, sponsors aren't jumping on board right away like I thought they would to help me cover costs. So I was releasing constantly like four a month. And then that became pretty costly. So now I'm once a month. I'm still releasing stuff that I recorded last year. It's, I guess, good and bad because I have lots of content. So there's that time piece. I don't need to kind of record anything right now. But at the same time, I feel bad for people that I recorded with that might have had a book they needed to get out there and launch and hear later their episode hasn't aired yet. Yeah, I guess there's stories that might have been missed over that year too that could have added on. Yeah, right? Even if it doesn't make sense at the time when you air it, they're talking about something that's already happened. But that's just one of those things. It's a learning process and that's all I'll take from it is I'm learning stuff about myself. I'm learning stuff about others. Having an open, honest conversation, being vulnerable, empathetic, having compassion, honesty, all that great stuff. So at the end of the day, I'm not in it for the money. So because there is none, like we talked about. <laughs> so I'll just plug away at it. And I don't know how long I'll do it for. Right now, I enjoy it. It has its moments that you can agree with where you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> We're very similar in our mindset with it. I never wanted to dislike it. So whenever I'm editing and I reach that moment where like, oh, this has been too much, I'll just shut it down. And then I go back when I'm ready again. So... I don't want it to feel like work. Yeah, exactly. There was times where because I was putting so much out, I was stressing on my my wonderful wife, of course, being there for me, being like, you know, you don't need to record something today. You don't need to send this today. What does it do if it's not out today, right? So I've taken breaks along the way where I haven't put anything out for a month or two. Because at the end of the day, if people want to listen, they're going to find it. They're going to listen. And that's really all that matters at some point they take a listen and if they like it they like it they don't they don't and there's always new listeners coming on that now have to catch up on the bank of stuff that you put out exactly and podcasts are growing like crazy and expanding so people are always going to find something they can listen to and hopefully it takes and they listen to one episode and they can pull something from it cool I got that well-intentioned advice that you mentioned about well you need to just keep releasing content or you'll lose listeners and People expect it on a certain day of the week at a certain time and they'll fall off if you don't deliver. But I chose to approach it the way that you're approaching it and it's gone fine. And actually speaking to Rob Martin recently, he was talking about how people have a lot of other podcasts they listen to. So if you release five, six, seven over a couple months, now they can't catch up. So there are a lot of people that appreciate that yours just sort of comes out once in a while and that they're always up to date with it. Yeah, I agree. It just makes it easier. It's, 
we're not Joe Rogan and Lewis Howes and Tony Robbins that have people working for them. They're constantly putting out content and that's what their job is, right? This is kind of a, a hobby, I guess. So the less I just stop stressing about it, even with social media too, right? Because you go, oh, I got to get followers. And again, they'll find your stuff if they want to. Don't even get me started on social media. <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, it's good and bad. I fall into it too. You know, my personal accounts. I post stuff about my kid, right? There he is playing hockey because you're so proud and you're in the moment. And then you take a photo and you post it. And now you're out of the moment because now you're wrapped up in that. And then you're constantly checking it. Oh, did someone like it? Did they like it? You know, and it's like, what are we doing? And then I'll post mental health stuff and I'll get nothing. Like, okay, we're conflicted in society is what I'm finding. <laughs> So now I just post about the episode when it's coming out. And not to say, like, if you post it for a day, great. Post it for a day. And I tried to do that. And I just couldn't keep up with it. And I'm okay with it. Whatever works. But it's a slippery slope for social media. I was talking about this this morning with my wife, Sarah. People posting things that they're not even educated on. If you're not a doctor, you know nothing about the gut and the brain connection. But if someone just reads that, oh, so-and-so said to do this, and then they try it, it doesn't work for them. And then they get frustrated because it didn't work. Unless you're posting relevant stuff from a accredited source like Nova or the CDC, like that's a little different. Yeah, stuff that makes sense. But I am guilty of it. I have some great accounts that I follow for fitness stuff and workouts, but then I fall into that. Oh, that person's doing that and they look like that. Then I'll go and do that many reps and sets of something. And the next day I can't move. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. They get paid to look like that and do that. So maybe I should have scaled back a little bit. <laughs> it really is just picking and choosing and then seeing what you can apply and what you can't. But that's real art in itself. When Facebook first started, the reason that I got onto it was so that people that were far away that I wasn't able to keep in contact all the time, I could see what they're doing in their lives and they can see what I'm doing. And you can do it in your own time. So there's not that we have to talk at this time, especially with different time zones. So for me, I just like that aspect of it, that people can check in on you if and when they want and you can do the same and then not have a massive backlog of stuff to catch up on when you finally do connect again whenever you do. And then trying to focus as much as possible on using it as a tool for good, like any tool. So if you've seen the social dilemma, that's obviously why they call it a dilemma, right? Because it's so powerful and so positive, but it's got some major negative drawbacks because of how it's actually engineered to function in your brain. Yeah, that's next on my list to watch. I definitely want to see that and understand like why these ads pop up when I just talked about it and all of a sudden it's on my screen. It's funny, yeah, Facebook, I was the same. I just got it because again, everyone else had it. Good for birthdays. I keep up with people's birthdays and things like plugging a podcast and putting out some, I think, some valuable content. I'm conflicted like most. We connect, we talk, but not as often as we could. But there's plenty of stuff that you post that I appreciate, that I add on to what I'm learning and helps me grow. So there's benefit to you putting things up that other people can take and grow from. Exactly. That's a perfect example. It's a fine line, right? Just understanding that there is some positive to it, but there's also a lot of negative. And through the podcast stuff, we connected. I actually got one of my guests from one of your podcasts, right? Chris Howe, I had on because I saw something you'd put up. I reached out to him and then we started talking. And then you came to our department to talk about peer support. And then, like you said, we sometimes send a DM. Hey, here's an article. What do you think of that? The odd text. So you can build relationships on it, but it can also be very toxic. That reactionary piece of you watch the social dilemma, oh, I'm deleting all my social media. Well, if you can now be aware of what they've built it for, you can choose to use it in your life and be aware of that and manage it appropriately and not get drawn in too deeply on the rabbit hole that you're where it can be, then I think you're in control of it. I think that's what it comes down to. And alcohol has all of these massive negative effects, but for some people it does fit into their life and they can manage it. So do we need to eliminate alcohol together or can we figure out how to educate people and make people aware and then we can have it in our society and still function appropriately? Yeah, I would agree with that for sure just one of those things you got to be able to uh, sort through the good and the bad like anything what's most surprised you about doing the podcast some people that i didn't think would listen kind of tune in and go hey that's pretty neat good job and how easy it was to get people i've had some bigger names on like theo flurry and clinton Larchuk, michael landsberg jb spizo some people are like how'd you get that like, 
that's where John's talking social media. I sent them a private message on social <laughs> media, actually, <laughs> and they, they responded. Right. Yeah. And how willing people are to share their struggle. How are you walking the talk in your life now? How do you cope and manage your stress? What's your combo? I love just getting out for a walk, ideally with my wife. Actually, before I came on with you, I had 15 minutes, and I was like, I'm just going to get outside, go for a quick little walk. I do journal, and I struggle to keep that habit up. But I do do it. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it for a while, taking a break from it. And then fitness is a huge part of my life. Love working out, playing hockey, playing golf. Being active has really helped me mentally. And then just being there for people. and helps me kind of, I guess, like you said, walk the walk. I'm just there for people. I like to think I am. And continuing to open up, talk about my own stuff. And in that way, how are you self-critical and critical of others, but in a healthy and sustainable way? I guess critical is maybe a poor choice of word. Maybe how are you self-honest or honest with others, knowing that it's going to be beneficial to you and to them? I just look at everything as like it's a teachable moment. So if you're being critical on yourself, like it's a good thing because it means you want to get better at it. You want to take that moment and learn from it. If you're hard on yourself, it's a good thing as long as you can figure out the way to make that problem better or whatever it was that you've been critical about. Because you're going to mess up things all the time. You're going to fail at things. So I just kind of look at the world around me as a teachable moment and don't blame others. Once you get that through your head, own up to your own mistakes, be critical, and then work on it from there. I try not to be critical of others. I just kind of look at things like, oh, maybe they didn't understand something. But of course, you're human. You're going to be. But I just look at it again teachable moment and maybe they learn differently if that answers your question but again getting in front of that problem and having those conversations i think is very beneficial do you have thoughts of promoting in the future what's your take on your career path i'm not really sure to be honest i'm enjoying where i'm at my captains are great the crew that i'm on is great the platoon i'm on is great so i'm really enjoying it i haven't put much thought into it been there seven years i just want to continue to grow and learn as much as I can before I just jump into writing. For me, it's early. I just want to continue to grow and and develop and see where it takes me. If it's just a first-class firefighter, I'm okay with that, at least for now. Is there that pressure in your department as well to jump into the process as fast as possible, whether you're ready or not, so you can somehow get a job ahead of someone else? Not so much pressure. I'm sure it's there. I just don't think about it, really. Because it's not something that's on my mind. Like, oh, I should write, I should do this. So I don't really look at it too much. You mentioned a call for you that really stood out. Tell me about the tractor-trailer rollover. Oh, yeah. That one was a tractor-trailer rollover of like 150 pigs. And we had to extricate the side of the truck and the back just to get them out. And the noises they were making, like it was something that I, I wouldn't even have thought about happening. It was so bad just listening to the sounds. But one of those teachable moments on that call was the amount of people that came around us because it was such a big call. We were there for like six hours. And it was like a lot of protesters were there because it was right in front of the factory where the pigs were going to be slaughtered. A lot of protesters were there and the cameras that were out, the phones and taking videos. And it really put in perspective how many people are actually watching you. So as a newer firefighter, you realize like, oh, Yeah, you got to kind of be on your game. People are always watching you. And at this time, blaming us. Oh, you're hurting them. Like, well, we're trying to get them out. This isn't our fault. So people can be very negative, even though firefighters are held in such a high regard. Somebody's always going to find something. There is a misdirected agenda and message there. Yeah. (laughs) They had the anger towards that whole system in general, and you just happened to be in the crossfire. Exactly. Yeah. Just there to do our job, and people are mad at us. Who are you going to be releasing in the next little while for your podcast? Do you have any names off the top of your head? I think I have like four or five still to come out. So I'll probably put out Jake Newton. He actually played over in Europe, pro hockey, and then uh, was drafted, went to a couple NHL training camps. But he just recently opened up, I think on the hockey news, there's an article about him. He was molested by a family member when he was a kid. So he's going to be coming out. Dan Edwards, who was actually a friend of mine from work, buddy, he was paralyzed in high school so we kind of talk about his life in a wheelchair and how he's kind of navigated that and then most recently i think i've got out ben harrow that one's out right now that one's i've gotten a lot of good feedback about that one he stepped on an ied when he was in iraq and lost both of his legs and they said the prosthetics don't fit he took himself off his pain meds after three weeks and told them like no no that's not going to happen and pain meds don't make him feel good so i'm coming off of them and i will figure out a way to walk again on prosthetics 
So he found out about his surgery in Russia and grew his femur back, like patient zero for this. Wow. Yeah, so now prosthetics fit. So he can walk around and live somewhat of a normal life. He needs to be in a wheelchair some of the time. But a lot of the soldiers now can get this surgery because of him. We're so indebted to these people that hear a message like, you can't, and they're like, screw you, I can. They blaze a whole new trail. Yeah, really interesting. And again, I met him through social media because J.B. Spizo was on my podcast. He's a former Army Ranger. And, and we connected over social media again because I DM'd him. So there, again, there's those positives of social media. But it came from, because I listened to so many podcasts, I listened to him on a hockey podcast because he worked for Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Rangers, all about on leadership and development. Then he wrote a book. So I reached out to him. So it's just funny. Everything kind of tied in towards the end of our conversation on pros and cons of social media and so there's a lot of good episodes and good content out now, and then there's some good ones coming. And then once I've got those, I'll start focusing on reaching out to some more people and see who wants to come on. Like maybe a Clara Hughes, Emily Overholt, who's an Olympian who struggled with some mental health stuff. And again, just putting the perspective, you know, these people that we hold in such high regard that see that are on TV and are famous, they struggle too. Tell me how people can find your podcast and how to contact you, and then we'll wrap this up with some standard questions. Yeah. So you can get it really anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, I think are probably the main ones that people use. And then you can email me, Ryan at mentaledge.ca if you want to connect with me. I'm on Instagram, mental underscore edge underscore lifestyle. You can search me on LinkedIn, Ryan-Gallagher-Mental-Edge-Lifestyle-Podcast. I don't know if you need all those dashes, but... (laughs) And I'm on Twitter, Lifestyle Edge, and Facebook, uh, Mental Edge L. But I mainly use Instagram and Facebook because they're linked. When I post one thing, it'll go. Shared dorms or separate rooms? I'd say shared unless it's north. As you guys build new stations, are they going to be putting in separate rooms? Do you know the direction your department's taking? I don't. I don't, to be honest. There hasn't been any talk yet about that. I'm sure there's a lot of sleep studies that could probably help direct that. Oh, definitely. I've heard different talks, but nothing from our end that I'm aware of. It's a rabbit hole we should definitely dive into deeper to figure out. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's only going to help us, right? There's nothing like jumping out for a call and your heart is just racing. A huge tone went off and a giant red light. (laughs) Eat together or every firefight for themselves? I'd say eat together. I'm big on that team stuff, right? Build a bond over food. But I also understand uh, dietary restrictions. So if you can accommodate for that stuff, then for sure. But you got to do what you got to do. You don't want to eat with us. You don't want to eat with us. What's your take on the two different staffing models with trucks where you rotate every position or you move to different stations if they need somebody? You have to know and be a master of as many things as you can. Or do you think people should have a role know that role really well, and then transfer into a new role and then know that role really well. What do you think is most beneficial? For us, we're not a massive department, so I think rotating, because we have to. But with that said, take it upon yourself to learn as much as you possibly can about every position. So when you do get moved stations, when the next shift you're sitting on a certain side of the truck, you know your role and responsibilities. And it strikes up conversation, right? Because you can ask somebody, hey, I don't know this part. What am I supposed to do on this? Obviously, as you get a little bit more seasoned and you're on longer, then you just kind of know. But I'd say, yeah, know a bit of everything and then really hone in on every skill. Do you guys work out together or do you guys do your own thing? Some of us work out together. I mean, right now with the rules and the COVID stuff, not so much. But again, I think it's great to work out together. Again, that team bonding, do something in the morning, do something in the evening, whatever it is, whatever works you learn more about your crew too when you're working out together. Maybe you have some different conversations, you know, family life or whatever. It's good. Is the smoothbore fog nozzle a conversation piece around your department? Like, do you have a preference personally? Training kind of talked about it, but smoothbore, probably some more benefits, right? Greater reach, less nozzle reaction, less clogging, increased ability to produce an adequate flow during a low pressure situation. So, yeah, I'd say smooth. Any pushing your department to make any changes? Actually, one of the guys is working on some pretty interesting stuff. Just new high-rise packs in general, lighter, easier to deploy. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's crazy, eh, how far firefighting's come over the years. And what it comes back to. Yeah, it's an ever-changing career, like the science behind it. Do you guys use the two-and-a-half-inch line interior? Do you have a preference if it's interior, exterior, or both? I'd say both. 
Again, that's up to the captain, but I think occupancy should dictate the tactics. Do you guys train on the big line at all on how to handle it, or is it just sort of expected that guys can transfer what they know with the smaller line to the big one? No, we train a little bit on it. We try to, as a crew, go out back and then pull different lines and see what you can do. We have the training tower, obviously, too, that we can go to and work on different strategies and tactics. It's a little bit tough right now with COVID for doing things, so try and take it upon yourself. We're a younger crew, too, so we have some eager guys that like to do stuff and just learn different things. That's the best way to do it, right? Just figure out what works and then read up on the training bulletins and policies and procedures and watch the videos. But get your hands on stuff so you can actually figure out what's going on. Do you guys have specific trucks, engines, and rescues, or are you sort of a mixed bag? Yeah, well, we have like our pump, our rescue ladders, Quint. And I prefer the pump life because you're always involved in it. You're always involved in something. You kind of go to every call. And then obviously our rescues have some different equipment on it. So that's good in that sense. I prefer to drive the rescue because it's smaller. It's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a pretty open city to rip around in too. Yeah, it's a great city. What about acronyms? Do you like them? Are you against them? Do you find they confuse you or do they help you focus all this information? I could go either way on that one. Again, I mentioned before, everyone learns differently, right? So sometimes an acronym might help them to remember something, whether it's on the fire ground or they got to write a test to move up in the ranks, and an acronym could help you. And so I'm easy. And I guess I'll finish off with you on, and you can expand as much as you want, the brotherhood and the family of the fire service. Like, is it healthy and well in your department? How do you see it in the service in general? What's your take? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's been good. You know, I can't speak to the history of it on my department because I haven't been there long enough. But from what I've seen, it's been really good. We have our hockey league that we can all get together and a bunch of us go golfing together. And we're on 24, so that might have changed a little bit of the dynamic if you live out of town. So the four on, four off, you're not typically hanging around when you're finishing at 4 p.m. to maybe go up beer because that doesn't exist anymore, right? You finish at 7 a.m. So there's that. That's changed a little bit, but definitely a good dynamic and we'll see where it goes. The generations coming in, younger guys, everything's changing the way people eat and healthier lifestyle. And it's interesting, but good. So you're finding it's generally a family supportive environment? I think so. We're good. Our union representation, too, like our union president is fantastic. It's been a good ride so far for me personally. And that's all I can really speak to is myself. Well, it was a pleasure to be able to come down and meet who could make it out for that peer support meeting that I was asked to come down and speak at. That was awesome. You guys are great. I think you're doing great things, and I took a lot away from it. And I hope you do the podcast for a long time because <laughs> I'm getting a lot from that too. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate you coming. It worked out well. We took some valuable stuff that we're hopefully going to put into play that we learned from you and the stuff you're doing at your department. So we appreciate it, and I appreciate the kind words about the podcast. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Well, we'll talk again soon. All right, cool. Thanks for your time.